We pray, Lord, that you open our eyes, open our ears to listen, hearken to your word. And we pray that you give us that submissive heart to your word. Lord, we confess that our minds are weak in listening to your word. And we often wander when we listen to your word. And we pray that you give us your grace to review your word. And listen, O oh Lord, attentively. And as we listen, we pray that your spirit would take every word and seal our hearts, penetrate our souls. And we pray that you do your deep work within us and transform us, O oh Heavenly Father. We don't want to be mere listeners of your word. We want to be doers of your word. And those who live according to your word, live a blessed life. Live a life holy and pleasing to you. Live a life which is wise in this foolish, sinful world. Help us, O Lord, not to be rebellious. As we see in chapter 3, the people in the wilderness. Help us not to go astray. But listen and submit. And live a life holy and pleasing to you. We thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. We commit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. In the name of our beloved Savior who loved us and gave his life for us on the cross. And rose from the dead and who is coming again to take us to be with him forever and ever. We offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. It's a powerful book that we find and we are learning some wonderful things from the word of God. We have gone through chapter 1 and then chapter 2 and we are in the final sermon in chapter 3. And today we will be particularly focusing on verse 13 and 14. And the title that I have given to this message is we have seen the past two sermons on guarding your heart. We all are responsible to guard our hearts. We cannot be careless, reckless, casual, negligent and see that we are going astray from the Lord. We need to pay careful attention to our hearts and uh, I have told you how we can do that. And today we will be looking at guarding one another's heart. We are not only called to guard our own heart, but also to guard one another's heart. You know, there is a research center named Pew Research Center, which is, uh, uh, they take polls and do research on what people are thinking about. And uh, in a research about uh, going to church and the importance of the church, when the poll was uh, taken and when the question was asked, one of the questions when they asked how often they go to church or uh, why they don't go to church and if they don't go to church, why they don't involve in the church. So in that research out of the professed Christians who don't often go to church and when it was asked and when the research was taken, 37% of 37 people who don't go to church, they said that, I practice my faith in other ways. Which is, I live my Christian life through other ways. I don't believe in church. I don't believe in being committed to the church. I don't believe in being regular to the church. I practice my faith in other, word, in, in other ways. 
when i listen to that i'm reminded of uh, one author who said that there are two things you cannot do alone there are two things you cannot do alone one is marriage you can't marry alone i know that some jerks have come out these days who say that i married to myself so but you can't marry alone it's impossible and secondly you can't live your christian life alone there are two things impossible in life marriage and the christian life and these people who say that i practice my faith in other ways they have no faith they have no spirituality they don't know god and they don't know the ways of god there are two facts we have understood so far as we have been reflecting on hebrews chapter 3 we have seen that christian life is hard it's not a easy road it's not a very cozy road we have seen that it is hard because of the pathway that we walk on as christians is replete covered filled with trials and temptations and at the same time we have seen also that because of this trials and temptations that we are bombarded with in everyday christian life and we know that god is great he is awesome he protects us he guards us he guides us but the bible also says that we in human responsibility we have seen in hebrews chapter 3 that our hearts are often prone to wander we easily go astray in these trials and temptations that we face and that is a fact that we have seen from the word of god especially from the people of israel who walked for 40 years in the wilderness so what is the antidote we have seen that in chapter 3 there are dual responsibilities two responsibilities the first is we have seen from hebrews chapter 3 from verse 7 to 12 we need to guard our hearts we need to prioritize about taking care of our hearts not just about our appearance and about our actions outside but especially the heart while it is possible that you may be very active in your external christian living you can go astray in your heart and that's a terrible possibility and the second responsibility that today we will be looking at is guarding one another's heart we are not only called to guard our own heart but also one one another's heart and that is what we see in hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 as he was speaking about do not harden your heart do not let your heart fall away from the living god as he has been giving these warnings one of the exhortations and the antidotes he present about how you can guard your heart is by guarding one another's heart shall we all lift up our voices and read these beautiful words hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin i have divided this uh, verse into three sections one is i will be focusing on the nature of sin that the scripture speaks about and then i will be spending time on the necessity of encouraging one another and third i will be speaking to you on the frequency of this encouragement of one another and let us see first the nature of sin 
The Bible tells you that the reason why we have to encourage one another as long as it is called today is because of the nature of sin. You need to understand that sin is powerful. You can't underestimate the power of sin. I'm not telling that it is more powerful than God. I'm not telling that it is more powerful than the Spirit of God. I'm not telling that it is more powerful than the Word of God. But we need to understand that there is some power in sin. If there is no power in sin, we wouldn't be committing sin. We wouldn't be falling away often and wander away from the ways of the living God. And the nature of sin is this. The scripture reveals two things regarding the nature of sin. The first is that it hardens the heart. Sin is powerful in hardening the heart. What does it mean to harden the heart? What does it mean to harden the heart? The first thing that I would like to tell you in hardening the heart is that when sin hardens the heart, there is no sense of conviction of sin. There is no sense of guilt. I'm not telling sense of condemnation. We don't believe in condemnation. Bible says very clearly, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't say that, therefore there is no guilt in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that there is no conviction of sin in Christ Jesus. There is this conviction. There is this guilt. And when a person's heart is tender, there is this constant sense of conviction of sin in him or her. You know, one of the things that I often pray, which I was also telling to the pastoral interns, is that, Lord, give me a tender heart. <laughs> give me a tender heart that when I sin, I would immediately know that the Spirit of God is grieved. So that I would be troubled in my soul. I have sinned against you, O holy God. Forgive me. And if I have sinned against people, go to people and ask for forgiveness. I had to do that to some couple of people. Couple of people, not one person. Couple of people just this week. I had to go and say that, I'm sorry. I have grieved the spirit of the Lord. I have spoken these words. Please forgive my sin. I had to do that. Why? Because... The Spirit of God convicts. And there is, when there is no conviction of sin, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to tell you that if you are not every day or often having this conviction of sin, it is a clear indication that you are far away from the living God. And I find so many believers today who live their life with no conviction of sin, with no guilt, with no repentance and contrition of soul. Yesterday when I was um, repenting of my sin before the Lord, I have a quotes book, my own quote book, which I want to release at the age of 50. There are hundreds of quotes that I have written in my more than 25 years of Christian life. And this is what I have written yesterday. When you draw closer to the heart of the Holy God, you will be horrified at the wretchedness of your sinful heart and live every day confessing your sins and finding comfort and strength at the cross of Christ. 
It is not just confession of sin. It is not just guilt. But when you look at it and see that how terrible you are, how horrified your nature is. But at the same time, when you look at the cross, you will see how much God loves us, not because of our moral performance, but only because of His grace and mercy. And that He loves us and cares for us and is quick to forgive us and enable us in our times of weaknesses. I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, do you struggle with guilt and conviction of sin constantly? If not, you are in a dangerous path of hardening your heart. And maybe you need to say, Lord, give me this tender heart and not live in the hardness of sin. There is another feature of the hardness of the heart, which is no obedience response to God's voice. No obedience to the word of God. You keep listening, but no brokenness and no submission because the heart is hardened. You don't feel that the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you. You don't find joy in reading the Word. And you don't feel that God is speaking to you when you read the Word. And when you listen to the message, you don't feel that God is speaking to your hearts. You just religiously listen to the Word of God. No obedience. No efforts. Lord, I want to live this way. You listen with one ear and forget and live with another ear. That happens... When there is no obedient response to God's voice. My dear brothers and sisters, listen to this carefully. Every time you deny to listen and obey God whenever He speaks to you, and every time you are hardening your heart. The danger of not obeying is hardening. And these are the two things that we see. That sin can do. And this is what has happened in the people of Israel in the wilderness. They had no conviction of sin. They had no obedience response to the word of God. They were just grumbling and very carnal in their mindset. And they could not enjoy the presence of God in their lives. And fall. And finally, they fell away from the living God. And the second thing that we see that the sin, power of sin, it, it hardens the heart. And even if you see the scripture here, hardening of the heart is the result of the first thing actually. And what is that? The Bible tells that it is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. Very powerful people. You cannot underestimate it is so powerful in its deception. Now what is deception? These days, you know, I never heard before, but these days, because of the online scam, there is a very popular word called phishing. It's not F-I-S-H-I-N-G. It is P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. What is phishing? It is online deceivers. Many banks, you know, send this message in your mobile phones and in your email, if you have bank account, which everyone has today, and this is a message we receive. What is that? Private, confidential information, such as your CVV, passwords, OTP, PIN and card number should never be shared with anyone over call or SMS. Never. Why? Because there are people who call you and say that I'm calling from the bank and you are getting OTP. Once you share the OTP, there is some amount that is going to fall in your account and you are deceived. Now what do you think about deception here? 
What do you see about deception? There is something that you need to understand about deception. You know what is that? C.S. Lewis made a very interesting point when he said what deception is. He said here that nothing can deceive unless it bears a plausible resemblance to reality. What does it mean? Anything that makes you think that it is real, when it is not actually real, it is a deception. If there is no appearance of reality, there is no deception there. <laughs> I'm talking about the appearance of reality. So we need to be very careful about the power and the nature of sin. Anything deceiving, we need to understand about the sin here that anything deceiving is not obviously evil. It is subtly evil that you cannot apparently see that. It looks good in the appearance while evil lurks behind. There is one beautiful example that we see about how sin is deceiving when we read Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 which confirms what Hebrews 3.13 says how sin is deceitful. Just this one verse you observe it. How deceitful sin is. We see that this is what has happened when, when the serpent came and when there is an object of sin before her and Genesis 3.6 this is what it says. So when the woman saw she looked at the forbidden fruit, right? But did she see when she looked at the forbidden fruit, it was looking ugly, dangerous, horrible, unpleasant? Is that what she found? No. What does it say? When the woman saw that the tree was good, which means it looks right. And it says that, Good for food, it is the right thing. And that it was a delight. Sin looks good. Sin looks very pleasing. And then it says here, delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired. Which means wanting to achieve. You see that it is good. You see that it is pleasing. And you want to achieve it at any cost. And what happens? To make one wise. And because she was convinced... You need to understand that before she took and ate the fruit, she was convinced of the power of that forbidden fruit, which she thought that it is good, delightful, and desired. And what did she do? Then she took of its fruit and ate. What is that? She hardened her heart. God said, don't eat. She hardened her heart. Why? Because she was deceived by the appearance of sin. And not only sin hardens, what did she do? And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. We also see that sin is contagious. When you sin, you try to spread that ugliness of sin and you become contagious. That's the reason Bible says church discipline is very important. Because one person who deliberately sins and lives a sinful life will spread the disease to others. And that's why Bible encourages on church discipline. At the same time, Bible encourages on guarding one another. As much as we can destroy one another, we can save one another as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing that I want to tell you as we are focusing on the nature of sin that we are living in an atmosphere of deception. You know, one of the deception is thinking that there is no deception. 
There is no greater deception than self-deception. You need to understand that we are living in an atmosphere. I say atmosphere, people. We are surrounded, the whole atmosphere of the world, even sometimes in the church, is deception. The Bible says that Satan is a deceiver who is roaming in the air, deceiving whom he can. We see that very clearly in Genesis 3.13. And not only that, Ephesians 5.6, Colossians 2.8 says that the world is deceptive. The world is very powerfully deceptive. And also, Hebrews 3.13 says that sin is deceptive. Satan is deceptive. The world is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. And much worse, Jeremiah 17.9 says, our own heart is deceitful. People, you, you may escape from the deception that is without, that is outside. How will you escape from the deception that is within yourself, within myself, which is very, very dangerous? But there is a way that God has provided how we can be saved from this deception. But the truth is that, the joy is that, the good news is that our God is a God of truths. Is not a God of deception. And the word that we hold on to is the word of truth. So there is hope for us. Even though we live in the atmosphere of deception, God has made a way for us to be saved from deception. I want to give you some practical examples of how sin deceives. So that it makes sense to us that sin deceives is not something that outside somewhere in the world. It happens to me in everyday life. And how does sin deceives? For example, this is what the sin does. When we cherish and enjoy. If God is good, why do you suffer? If God is good, why do you suffer? What, what's the point of praying and having faith in God? When God is not giving you any deliverance from sin, uh, from suffering. So what does sin do? It impacts that. It impacts your mind that God is not good because of the pain and suffering that you are going through. Another thing is, and I've seen a couple of people Shamefully, professed Christians saying that the Holy Bible is not practical and relevant to life. You can read, but you know, it's not practical. It is written years ago. So you can direct your life according to your feelings and philosophies. You don't take the word of God seriously because it is very old. Another thing is, your heart is not prone to wander. You are a strong Christian, you know. And when you hear that, your heart is prone to wander. We say like, Peter, what? what? What are you talking about? You wonder that your heart wanders, right? We think that our heart doesn't want. I'm a strong person. No way I can fall. You're gone. If you say that, God cannot love you and accept you because of your sins. We see that in the testimony of Jeevan. You, you're sinning. How is it that God loves you? God cannot accept you and he faces that condemnation and that is what sin does. That God's love is based on your moral performance. Another thing that attacks the family also is that your spouse is not satisfying you physically, emotionally. So what do you do? Go and watch porn. Or you're not married enough to have a spouse who can satisfy you physically, emotionally. What do you do? Watch porn. Because there you will find some relief. Watch porn, masturbate, do all these sinful things so that you can find some relief and it is good. My goodness, I was reading recently that uh, 
uh, I was reading a book on, uh, you know, how people struggle with sexual immorality. And the author is very, very good counselor, trustworthy person. And he was telling that a pastor, I'm talking about a pastor. He says that a pastor called him and he told him that frequently he goes and sleep with prostitutes. And, uh, and when he was asked, why do you do that? He said that because I, I face a lot of stress and burden in the church ministry, you see. I counsel people, I encourage, I preach, I teach. So such a burden that I've carried that I, I, I don't have any relief. So I go and sleep with prostitutes. That's how, that's how I find my comfort and strength and some relief. Who is this? Pastor? I mean, you see, you may be thinking, that, how can he? That's what sin does, people. Sin makes you insane. You become mad fellow where you can't reason anymore. You get absorbed into that. You know, another deception, especially young people, your parents are choking your freedom. Discipline, boundary, these are all, you know, choking, choking your freedom. They don't love you. They don't want you to enjoy your life. So rebel against the boundaries and authority. Live the way that you want. And that's how a lot of young people think that my parents don't love me. They often choke me. Discipline, boundary, and all these things. They think that they intend to do some harm. That's how sin deceives you. It deceives you that your true freedom is not living under authority. Your true freedom is rebelling. And do what you like is what true freedom is. Go ahead. And you're gone. And it says that to some people, it's, sin also says that, you know, your family is more important than the church. So focus full time on family, neglect the church. Another deception to some people is church is more important than family. Where you focus on the church and neglect your family. Either way, there is some deception and people are carried away by that. You know, one of the most dangerous uh, things that I've seen in my Christian life is that religious experiences without no reverence and obedience to the word of God. You know, what do I mean religious experiences? Oh, I experience the presence of God. Oh, I can see my goosebumps here. I can see, you know, all over that. I can see that electrocution, the Holy Spirit electrocution. The whole body is in a shock. And I hear God is speaking to me. God is saying, speaking to me, do this or do that. But when you look at their lives, God doesn't speak to them about how to love and serve the church. God doesn't speak to them about how to be submissive to your husband and loving towards your wife. God doesn't speak to them about all these things. He only speaks about, you will be a blessing to the nations. He will only speak to you about, God will raise you up and he will use you to shake. Do you like the word shake? Not milkshake. Oh, I have grown up in that culture. Shake, you will shake the nations. I am shaken by the way. <laughs> and this is what it is. Shake, breakthrough, hearing God. All this, you know, this supernatural so-called experiences... When you look at the family life, honestly, terrible family life. Hearing God, experiencing God, what kind of a God is yours? Who doesn't speak about holiness? Who doesn't speak about humility? But that is some of the churches deceive religious experiences, but no reverence and obedience to the word of God. If you are offended by people, sin tells it, you know, leave the church. See, that person has offended you. Don't confront. If you confront, you know, things will become bad. Words. Just leave silently. And some people even say that, you know, I prayed about it. 
I don't know how I get frustrated when people say that. Man, do you read the word? Bible says if you have any problem with anyone, go and talk. Go, talk, sit, talk, pour out your heart. Give them opportunities to listen to your struggles. Give them opportunities to see whether they would change. After sufficient evidences, then you can leave. People say that. I prayed about it as if God is telling them to leave without confronting them, without sharing with them. I don't believe that is God of the Bible. Maybe they are listening to some demon or to some self. And they try to spiritualize it. And don't practice spiritual accountability in the church. Why? Why should you be accountable? You need to stand ultimately as Cyril is preaching these days before the judgment seat of Christ. God is your authority. God to whom you should be accountable. You are not accountable to people at all. So live the way that you want to live because God knows your heart. God knows your heart. The problem is you don't know your heart. If you know your heart the way God knows, you will run away from yourself. And there is a deception that I have no need to be accountable to anyone except to God. People, that's very dangerous. You know, when the Bible speaks about in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13, that sin is deceptive and sin hardens your heart, that you need to exhort one another. This is what we need to understand, people. Now, if you are a smart person, if you are a wise person, if you are a sensible Christian, you know this fact. You know what is that? You can't see all the evil in your heart by yourself. Shall we all repeat this? I can't see all the evil in my heart by myself. I am blinded to my own flaws. If you don't understand this, you don't know the value of accountability. You don't know the nature of your heart. And what is the antidote to this? If sin is hardening your heart, if sin is deceptive, what is the antidote that we see then? The antidote is the community of God which God bought by the blood of his son and gave, us, gave to us as his gift. People, I'm telling you that apart from Christ's great sacrifice on the cross, the gift of salvation, apart from these precious words of life that we see in the Bible, one great gift that God has given to all of us to sustain us, to guard us, is the community and the church of the living God. And that is exactly, we come to the second section, the necessity of encouraging one another. Shall we again read Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 as we have learned about the hardness and the discipline of sin. So what is the antidote? What shall we do? What does it say? But exhort one another every day as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now the word exhort is the antidote to our wandering, hardening, deceitful heart. And what should we do here? It says that exhort one another. What is the meaning of exhort? In the Greek, the word used is parakalio. Now what does it mean? It includes warning. You can even say that warn one another. Or it could also be correction. Correct one another. Or it could also be comfort. Comfort one another. Encouragement. Encourage one another. So it includes varieties of ministries and functions in the word parakalio, which is warning, exhortation, encouragement, correction, rebuke, all these things. You should be doing that to one another. 
There are some people who say that I don't listen to anyone. I listen only to how obedient these people are. <laughs> That's a terrible epitome of deception. <laughs> Bible says, do that to one another. And that's what we see the author is doing here, right? What is the author doing here in the letter? He's exhorting what he's telling them to do for one another. Which is a beautiful example that we see. And we need to understand when the Bible speaks about correction, rebuke, encouragement, comfort, exhortation. It says that also we need to do that with love and humility. Not with self-righteousness. Not with critical attitude. Not with belittling spirit. But we need to do that with love and encouragement. Now you see, Peter O'Brien, he read a beautiful commentary on this. He says a very good point here. Hear this, what he says. The author of Hebrews believes that an important remedy to the danger of a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God is mutual admonition. This is what the author is thinking about remedy. The danger of deception and hardening and wandering off is mutual encouragement. One another encouragement. Now here you see this. Who should encourage one another? Who should do the exhortation of one another? Who should do that? Who should do that? Pastors, right? Pastors? It says that pastors encourage believers. We see a lot of one man over others than one another. Isn't it? One man over others than one another. Does it say that pastors encourage others? No. I don't see anywhere here saying that. Only pastors and elders should do that. Some people, you know, question saying, Who are you to tell me? Are you a pastor? Another deception. <laughs> Only if pastor says, I will listen. He doesn't listen to anyone except pastor. Wow. How humble and submissive he is to the word of God. <laughs> Is that what the Bible says? Listen only to pastors and leaders and elders and care not about others. That's a culture we have seen. In fact, we pastors even destroyed this one another ministry in the church. When Sam goes and encourages Vinith, uh, when did you become pastor? <laughs> Do you have calling? Do you know what it is to be called? Do you know how God called me? Are you trying to compete? Are you seeking position? This is how we destroy it also. We take responsibility. We pastors are greatly, great culprit. Not all pastors, many pastors, they can't bear people doing ministry to one another. That's the worst thing in the churches today. Rather than encouraging the church to encourage one another, they encourage the church to stay away from this ministry of encouragement of one another. That's why we see carnality, hypocrisy flourishing in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should be very careful. People... You need to understand that it's your job to do that. It's my job. If I'm a member of this church, my job is to encourage one another. And one of the deceptions of sin here is also, is that it is not your job. Another deception of sin also here is that, look at your own life. Are you perfect? As if all those who are encouraging one another are perfect. Sins. Look at your life. That's how people listen to this devil and sin robs you from the encouragement of one another. Look at your life. You're, you're, you're weak. You're struggling. You have no holiness. You're imperfect. How can you do that? 
We don't do that because we are perfect. We do this because we are progressing. And we should not listen to the enemy who says that encouragement doesn't mean that, you know, you only tell them what they have to do. You will share your struggles and weaknesses also. This is how I am struggling and God is giving me grace. Every believer is following. Every believer should follow this. You know what is one of the covenant of the church? What is that? The fourth covenant. What? We will hold one another lying. So many of you lie, you know that. Do you really practice that? Are you holding one another accountable? Honestly. Just parroting. We will hold one another accountable. Christian. Where is that shaking? Where is that shaking? Oh, where is it? Okay, church covenant sheet. Now we'll be having at the end. We all stand together. <clears throat> okay. We will hold one another accountable in Christian love and submit ourselves to both the correction and encouragement of our fellow believers so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. All lying. Many do that. I'm not telling all are lying. You know. You know very well how much you lie when you confess it. That's your responsibility. But I want to encourage you, please follow what you confess. Follow what the Bible is telling here. There is a question that I would like to tell you when I speak about the Bible speaking about encouraging one another. There is a question is that, hear this. Fellowship with people who help you grow in sanctification. Are you getting this point? Fellowship with people who help you grow in sanctification. Be cautious of people who are grumbling, gossiping, bitter. They'll destroy you. Honestly. People who are negative, they spread negativity. People who are bitter, they spread bitterness. People who are grumbling, they spread their grumbling attitude to others. People who are, you know, gossiping, they spread that. You need to be careful about whom you fellowship with. The Bible tells that if you, if you want to be wise, walk with the foolish. It doesn't say that. It says if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. Now, here is what I want to tell you that. Unless you are in a position to impact others, stay away from people who are pessimistic, grumpy, and evil in their attitude. Stay away from people. Even in the church, I say that. Unless you are in a position to impact if you're in a position to impact them, when they grumble or when they gossip, when they are bitter, you can tell them, hey brother, this is what the Bible says. We need to be Christ-centered. We need to be, this is, the, we need to be following what the Bible says. We should not encourage them. So it is good if you impact them. But if you are weak and are impacted by them, you need to flee away from them. Because they are doing damage to you and you are allowing them to do damage to another. I'm not telling them you need to do that because you feel self-righteous and they are bad people. No, you are doing that so that you can grow in sanctification. And when you come, become strong in faith where you can impact them, then you can do that. I love people coming to me and gossip. Honestly, I love. Why? Because I want to help them never to gossip again. <laughs> when people say that this is, what, this is what is happening, I wonder why don't they come to me actually? Because it becomes a serious issue. So, brothers, sisters, be careful of how you fellowship with 
people. Stay away from those if you are weak in faith. And also I want to tell you something here. If, if this exhortation of one another should happen in the church, we need to have a welcoming and humble attitude. Welcoming attitude. That is, you, you, you build your posture in such a way, you are so humble and welcoming in your heart that people would freely come and exhort you. Which means they may come and correct you and they may rebuke you, they may encourage you, they may comfort you, they may exhort you because you are welcoming towards such things. But if you are known for self-justifying, oversensitive, get upset easily, silently avoid people, aggressively react, people don't come anymore. So why this is not happening in one way in the churches is because people are not humble to receive. Oh brother, no, can't go and talk to that person because he's very oversensitive and he gets upset, avoid. So we, we don't go and do that. And we need to be very, very careful in our attitude. And uh, you know, yesterday evening I, I, I committed sin against the Lord and uh, my sons came and corrected me when I committed sin. And uh, I was justifying myself at the time for a moment. You know, I, I couldn't take it when it was coming right away at the moment of my sin. And then I realized that, man, you're arrogant. And I had to call them and apologize. And once again, I tell Joy and Joe, please forgive me. And next time, if you ever see me committing sin, you have every freedom to come and talk straight to my face and tell me, Papa, you have sinned against the Lord. You should not do this. And I assure you that I would not behave in that way once again. And I'm not putting on a posture of humility here and trying to impress you because I can't face God in prayer. When I behave like this, I can't pray. I can't face God. When I stand before him, I feel awkward. I feel a hypocrite. We need to be welcoming in our attitude. There are some people who have a false impression, I agree. They just assume when that is not the reality. That happens especially with Shankar and me. Oh, if I talk to the elders, don't know how they react. Did you ever test them? Test them and see? Next thing I will not tell you. <laughs> test them and see. And all the people who have come, you know. Did we ever get angry at you? Did we ever, you know, play politics? Some people, you know, you should be very careful with pastors. If you go and confront them, they'll keep you in the mind and they will attack you in the message. <laughs> or they will see that they will avoid you and do something to you in one way or the other. They will despise you and try opportunity to do that. Brothers, if we do that, there is the one who is watching over us. We can't face him. We can't face him. If you have elders who fear the Lord, go and do that. I understand there are people who don't do that. But you know, I love what John Piper says here. He says here that God has appointed a means by which, we, by which he will enable us to hold our confidence firm to the end. It is this. Develop the kind of Christian relationships in which you help each other Hold fast to the promises of God and escape the deceitfulness of sin. You need to intentionally develop such people. Exhort one another day in and day out to stand fast and put on the whole armor of God. You have to do it. If you don't surround yourself, you're gone. 
I keep telling pastors, I, I keep telling pastoral interns, often as a, in their training, man, being a pastor is a dangerous ministry. You know why? Because you will be in a position where no one will come and encourage you. When no one will come and correct you. When no one will lay their hand on you and pray for you and encourage you to persevere in the Lord. I know that loneliness. Shankar knows that. Few people do that. Why? Because they think that they are superhuman beings. And I tell them that if you don't surround yourself with people who can hold you accountable, you are ruined. And that's how many pastors are ruined, either in arrogance or the go. So we have accountability structure in the church where brothers will sit with us. We intentionally develop. You come and ask us these hard questions about our Christian living. Why? Because pastors are the most dangerous people who are prone to wander because they may have the reputation of being alive while they can be dead inside. So we need to intentionally develop. So brothers, sisters, please protect your elders. Come and ask them any question. Any question. You have freedom. You have authority. You have to guard us. And we have to guard you. And we have to guard one another. Why? Because sin is deceitful and hardens our heart. How can we practically practice this in the local church? Quickly, let me give you some insights on this. How do we practice this exhortation of one another? One is preaching of God's word. Every time we listen to the word of God, we need to understand that God's encouragement is coming to us and he is restoring us. And this is what I encourage you that make every effort not to miss to hear God's word in the community of God. Don't think that your personal devotions are enough. Personal devotions are important. But gathering of men and women, when men gather, men come, listen to the word of God. When women gather, women come. Listen to the word of God. When church gathers, come. Listen to the word of God. What is happening every time you listen to the word of God? Some people will be saying, I'm sleeping. <laughs> That's exception. Generally, what happens? <laughs> Your heart is awakened, right? If you are spiritually alive. If you are dead, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will receive life. But that is what happen every time consider whenever we come i when i listen what a great encouragement it is to listen to the word of god it is important that we need together come together often you know i remember uh, a church member often missing the church and uh, uh, he was not valuing the church commitment to the church and then the pastor goes and visit this man in his home it was a dead winter season and when he visits him he saw him sitting before the fireplace, before the glowing, fiery coals and warming himself. And this pastor, what he did is, he didn't speak a single word, he just sat for a while. And then pulled the chair closer to the fireplace. And then he looked, gazed at the glowing, burning coals for some time. And then he took tongs and took only one coal out of the pile of burning red hot coals, he took one coal and just placed it aside. And then after a few minutes, that one coal became black and dead, while the rest of the coals were glowing, burning, red hot. And pastor just didn't say a single word. And the church member said, I'll see you next Sunday. Very few people are there who get the lesson. Why? 
people listen to this. It is only when we are knit together that we burn for the Lord. Apart from him and his community, you're gone. And I say that one of the reasons I am still persevering in my Christian life is because of you, church. You may be wondering, I know I'm persevering because of church. If there was no church in my life, I might have gone. The second way of how we can practice this encouragement of one another is accountability. And accountability could be informal or formal. You know, just two Sundays ago when I visited GLC, and one person was telling that when I asked this question, hey, how is the condition of your heart, which I'm practicing these days, how is the condition of your heart? And he was telling Anna, I don't understand. After coming to this church, the way brothers ask me question, I have never seen anywhere people asking such deeper questions in my life. I mean, who are these people? Who are these brothers who just come and say, hey, how, how are you doing in your family? Accountability, people, is so powerful in the Christian living. It could be informal. People just asking one another and it could be formal. We have a formal structure here in the church where we are accountable to one another. Why? Some, someone was telling that, Anna, if there was no accountability, I might have lived in secret sins. But because of this, I am compelled to come out of my secret sins and confess my sins so that I can find help. Wow. Bill Hull, who wrote Disciple Making Pastor, he writes this. Hear this carefully, people, what he says. If you want to be a godly person and want to grow in holiness, listen to this. To believe you can make disciples or develop true maturity in others without some form of accountability is like believing that you can raise children without discipline, run a company without rules, or lead an army without authority. Accountability is to the Great Commission what tracks are to a train. And I encourage you mentors, please take your mentoring seriously. Pray for them. Follow them up. Meet them. And see how they are doing. Because there are no, you know, private uh, entering of life. Nothing like that. General thing. How is your devotional life? How is your family life and church life and work life? Very simple. And I tell you mentees, please cooperate with your mentors. Some of you are giving a great trouble to them. <laughs> please. It's a privilege. They are doing a favor to us by sacrificing their time. Some people, you know, as if, you know, they are a big shot and we are asking for their appointment and they say that I'm busy. Sir, will you please meet for, oh, I'm busy. Please don't do that. They are sacrificing their families and precious time and work to spend time with you and you are the busiest man in the world. We have no time for that. Rather than brother, what is happening? I'm going away or my heart is cold. When shall we meet? Shall we discuss together? Shall we talk together about the condition of my soul? If you are serious in holiness, that's what you will do. If not, in Hindi there is a word, satak jate. Slowly slip away. Cunningly slip away. When people slip away, I know that they are not right with God. That's the reason they are slipping away. Another thing is, intentional small group. You know, one sister called me recently and she said that, Anna, can I... Read this book with some sisters in the church. I was glad. Go ahead, sister. Please do that. Intentional small groups where brothers and sisters are coming together. Shall we read and encourage one another? I love what Dave Ramsey is a financial speaker, writer. He says that every Wednesday morning for the past 14 years, unless I'm out of town, I sit at a conference room table at 7 a.m. with 12 of my closest friends. We call it our Eagles group. 
and spend about 90 minutes investing in one another. We talk about our struggles together. We study scripture together. We read books together. Basically, we have done life together for more than a decade. Are you part of such small groups? Do you avoid them? Another thing, finally, I'd say that personal time. Personal time. What is that? Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. People, you cannot be sharp by yourself. You need someone to sharpen you. My question here is this. Who is the iron in your life who is sharpening you? Do you have anyone sharpening you? If not, you are blunt. And there are many who are living blunt Christian life because there is no one to sharpen them. And to whom are you an iron? Are you an iron to someone in life so that you are sharpening them? There should be someone who is sharpening you and you are sharpening others. That's how we become sharp Christians. Or else we will be blunt. I love what uh, Charles Wendell says here. When was the last time you did that for someone or allowed someone to do that for you? This is more than simply making an encouraging phone call or sending a friendly email. It involves spending time with one another, life on life, the kind of fellowship one finds in a close-knit church community. You get to know the struggles and temptations of others while they get to know yours. Only then can you begin to exhort and encourage one another in this way. So I'm encouraging you, brothers and sisters, make use of the hospitality. Not to just having vain conversations, but use them to encourage one another. Make use of your personal meetings. When you go and meet someone, use that opportunity to encourage one another. Use the fellowship that you have to encourage one another. People, listen to this carefully. When I see there is, this is not the culture of the church, I see that the lack of encouraging one another in the church today is there is the evidence of their lack of personal walk with God. Are you understanding what I'm saying? If people are not encouraging one another, that shows that they're not walking with God. They are, they are lukewarm Christians. Hear this carefully. The more you spend time with God, the more fruitful your time will be with people. Are you understanding? The more you spend time with God, the more fruitful your time will be with people. The more you talk to God, the more meaningful your talk will be with people. The more you are filled with God's word, the more you will fill people with encouragement. If not, you can't invest in the lives of one another. Another thing that I would like to encourage you people is that if you are struggling with any sin, any problem in the family or in the church or any personal sin, intentionally be proactive in seeking help. I remember my first mentor, which I often told you that, if you have listened to my previous sermons, that the devil attacks powerfully in secrecy. The more secret you are in your struggle with sin, the greater power the devil has in misleading you from the ways of the living God. So this is what I say. If you are discouraged and doubting God's goodness, pray and seek out for help. If you do not have good personal devotional life, Pray and seek out for help. Go and talk to one brother. Brother, I'm struggling with my personal devotional life. If you are falling into any sin like porn or other addictions, pray and seek help. I have some brothers come and tell me that. Brother, I'm struggling with porn. Please pray. I want to find help in that. And we have to sit and draw out how we can you know, help them and lead them. If your family is falling apart, pray and seek help. 
Family is one area where we don't want to come out. We want to just hide the struggles because what others will think about them. But if you find a trustworthy couple and a person, go and talk. Don't hide people. Your family will become worse. If you are having problems in the church, pray and seek help. The devil targets you to live in secrecy. Come out. Seek help. It's a great, great help. You know, two deceptions of the enemy that I have seen in the context of the church when I look at this. Hear this carefully. One of the tactics of the enemy is to gradually take you away from the life of the church so that you can become prey to him. Gradually it takes you away from the life of the church so that he can butcher you and prey on you. I've seen that happening to many souls in my experience of pastoral ministry. How he does that? This is how he does. He either tempts you prioritizing other things about the church. You say that this is important. That is important. Church is not that important to me. So they neglect the church and they run after other things. That's how he does that. He will not say that church is bad. Church is evil. Don't go to church. No. He will tempt you to prioritize other things over these things. And the other thing that he will do is he will show the weaknesses of the church and discourage you from participating in it. You see how weak the church is? These are a bunch of hypocrites. Go and join the perfect saints somewhere in the church so that you can spoil them also. People, hear this. People who are inactive in the church neglect to receive and give God's encouragement and finally fall away. Hear this. I'm talking this very seriously. People, I'm not talking merely attending the church. People who are inactive in the church neglect to receive and give God's encouragement and finally they fall away. I'm not talking about losing salvation. I'm talking about people who show that they were never been saved. And that is a tactic that we have seen. But one thing I want to caution you here. Another thing also he does it here about how we can fellowship is that you can fellowship together but tempt them to have more chatting and fun with no mutual encouragement. Spend time. Church is important, you know. Church is important. Come on, meet. Eat. Talk all about the other things but not boosting one another. Carnal talk, sports, politics, job, which are okay for some time. But that's the only thing that dominates their conversation. And they have fun, recreation, but no time for mutual encouragement. And devil will be always on our side for such ungodly carnal fellowships. And some of you are already doing that. You know that. When you come together... We should never be the same. Some fire should be ignited. Some encouragement, we should get it. Not just coming together, eating, drinking, and partying, and recreation, fun, and chatting with no mutual encouragement. The Bible says that we need to come together with a special purpose. That is to encourage one another. I'm not talking that every time you come together and have a prayer meeting. No, there should be some kind of encouragement. But one thing that I want to caution you from Hebrews 12.15. You know what is that? From Hebrews 12.15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no bitterness, root of bitterness springs up and cause trouble. And by it many become defined. Observe gossipers, bitter people in the church. Encourage them to go and deal with that. And stay away from them if they continually do that. They are gangrene in the church. Gossipers, bitter people who spread very carefully. You know about that person? Do you know this, what is happening? 
Why are you talking to me? Go and talk to the elders or to the concerned person. Why are you telling me? They poison others' mind also. Beware of such bitter people. And finally, I want to close with the frequency of exhorting one another. Frequency of exhorting one another. Hebrews 3.13, let us say that once again. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How often should you encourage one another, exhort one another? When? Uh, that's a mistake. We should correct actually, isn't it? We have pen. I want to correct author of Hebrews. What is that? How often? Come on, you are not getting it from the heart. Every? You see also in line with this Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more. What should you do all the more? And all the more as you see the day approaching, all the more, what should you do? Meet more and eat meat. What does it say? Eat more and encourage one another. All the more you should be. Why? Because we are living in the last days and we have to guard each other. One sister asked actually, I'm glad that one sister asked, what about fasting prayer? I don't know how many of you got it. When you said that, there is no activity on Saturday. And we have a plan for that. But for many it doesn't matter because how many of you attend fasting prayer by the way? Prayer is the least attendance in almost every church. Never show up some people. Some people occasionally show up. Now you see here, I love what David L. Allen, an exegetical commentator, says about every day. You know what he says? The statement in Hebrews 3.13 and Hebrews 10.25 may indicate that the readers met together daily. Wow. There is a reason it was telling. It, was, it is assumed that they are meeting every day and it was told that encouraging one another. Kent Hughes says that we are to encourage each other daily, not just on the first day of the week. People don't even encourage on the first day of the week. Who is encouraging on the first day of the week? Who? The preacher. Have you, do you pray that, Lord, I'm going to church? Your word says encourage one another. Use me, O Lord, to be a blessing to someone today. That I may bring some encouragement. Do you leave this place either encouraging or being encouraged or in some time or the other encouraging someone? Many don't. The reason we have fellowship meal is so that we can encourage one another. But that is not practiced. Very sadly. People, I am telling you, please make use of the opportunity. It says here that again, as long as it is called... Today, what does it mean today? We see that right above the verse it says in verse 7, Hebrews 3, 7, what does it say? Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. So when, when Bible speaks about today, it means encouragement to continue as long as it today lasts. In other words, think that today is the last day you are living and give your best to people. I, I remember yesterday I was talking to Ajay, as we were discussing, I love what Richard Baxter says that preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying people. I don't know many of you didn't get it, but some of you got it. Preach as never sure to preach again 
as a dying man to dying men encourage one another as you never encourage them again as a dying man to dying people and it says that have a sense of urgency when you do that or else you can't do that you know what is the pathetic state of the believers today this is what i have written the believers gather only once a week and if you gather too much and if you gather more than once a week what they will say they are gathering too much <laughs> and they gather once a week and if you have a service more than 2 3 hours long hours very long this is the state of christians they don't want to meet once a week and they don't want to gather more than one hour if they meet once a week anything is too much this is how we have lowered down the church life the standard of church life we have lowered down the standard of pastors and making anyone a pastor we have lowered down the standard of a church and making anything a church we have lowered down the standard of a christian and making anyone a christian people let's return to the standard of the word of god and not lower its standard the bible tells here that we need to exhort one another matthew henry says that if christians do not exhort one another daily they will be in danger of being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and today we have a greater privilege to encourage one another right in those times they didn't have email they didn't have whatsapp they didn't have phone call and still they met and today we have phone calls we have emails we have whatsapp we have facebook we have instagram and what do we do then what do we do then boost one another encourage one another see that we are sharpening some of you are laughing you know that that's not what we are doing we are flirting with the social media today rather than firing the people of god i want to close this word with this um, word here people understand what the church is okay let me read this hebrews 3:14 it says that for we have come to share in christ which is the reason why we have to do this it says that we are having the heavenly calling if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end which means it says that you have to persevere till the end what should you do till the end guard one another guard each other that is how god's assurance is fulfilled now this is what i want to tell you all people church is not a place are you understanding church is not a place church is not a program this is what we have made this two things idolized church is a sanctifying community god has given the church to sanctify us to conform us to the likeness of christ it is a sanctifying community not a mere service to attend stop attending the church get sanctified i'm not telling that don't go to church i mean to say is get sanctified god gave you the church to guard your heart in christ you must be committed to the church to guard your heart in christ and you must practice mutual encouragement to guard each other's heart in the lord jesus christ why did god give you the church shall we all read this together god gave you the church to guard your heart in christ you must be committed to the church to guard your heart in christ you must practice mutual encouragement to guard each other's heart in christ if you don't do that you're not guarding your heart and you're not guarding each other you know this is how i summarized the christian journey this is how you know how 
The Christian journey is this. Happy Exodus. Repent, believe in Christ. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. You're born again. You become a Christian. Profess, take baptism. Everything. What is after that? Your faith is tested. That's what we see in Hebrews 3. You will go through trials, temptations, pain. Your faith is tested. If you are a genuine Christian, you will persevere till the end. If you are a false Christian, you will fall, fall away sometime down the line, proving that you were never a believer. And then, what should you do in the meantime when your faith is tested? Guard your heart and guard one another's heart. That is what you need to persevere. That is what you need to do that until when? Until you die or when Christ returns. There is no retirement from this. And what will happen when you do that? You grow towards maturity. Rather than living in church for 10 years, 20 years, never become mature, which is the state of many believers today. But when you do that, you reach and become mature. And then what will happen? Eternal glorification when we persevere till the end. Shall we all rise up and pray? People, again, I want to encourage you today, if you hear his voice through the scripture, don't harden your heart. Maybe draw closer to the heart of God. And encourage one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are not doing that, let's, let's feel that conviction of sin. Lord, I'm not doing it. Forgive me, O Lord. Forgive my sin. Now, please don't let children come now. This is a time of prayer. And let them not come and disturb the atmosphere. Just hold them back. And let others pray. Others pray that, Lord, please to convict me. Lord, you please to sanctify my heart. Open your heart, people. Don't harden your heart. Don't be deceived. Ask God, Lord, you please to sanctify me. Give me heart to encourage others. May, may not waste my life, not waste my presence in the church. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Heavenly Father, what shall I say about the state of the church today? We have become program-oriented. We have become a place where we just attend every Sunday and live doing some activities, maybe some prayer, some studying of the Bible. Oh Lord, that's the state of Christianity today. And we are ashamed of it. How far we have gone away from the word of God. How far away we have drifted from the New Testament church. There is no encouragement of one another. There is no accountability. There is no meaningful, fruitful fellowship. And we have built such strong towers of ego that when someone comes and speaks to our lives, we get upset, we get angry, we avoid them. We even question, who are you? Lord, you destroy the tower of Babel in our hearts. Ruin that egotism. And give us that love and humility, kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience to love and encourage one another. May we guard each other's heart, O oh Lord. May we not be like Cain, who said, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, we are brothers and sisters keeper. Because we are the body of Christ. Bought by the blood of Christ. And pray that you give us your grace to know the hardness and the deceitfulness of sin. And how prone to wander our heart is. And may we every day watch over our heart above all things. 
for it is the spring of life. Not neglect our hearts. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Help us to practice what we have listened. Maybe not simply babble, parrot. We will hold one another accountable in Christian love and submit ourselves to both the correction and encouragement of our fellow believers so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Help us to live out the church covenant, O Lord. And give us that meaningful fellowship and fire us up. May, may Ecclesia, may the brothers and sisters here be red, hot, fiery coals for the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not be dead coals, but red, hot, fiery, glowing coals for the living God until the day we die. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com you may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at g-m-a-i-l dot c-o-m. Grace and peace be to you.